has read the Christmas story this season? Oh, everybody's like, man, I better raise my hand, you know. I mean, surely all good Christians read the Christmas story. We're supposed to read it every day, right? No, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Well, let's start by reading that. So um, at the time, we're going to look at Luke chapter 2. At the time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census, and because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, because the, but the angel reassured them, Do not be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels have returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that's happened which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds were told the shepherds returned. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. And it was just as the angel had told them. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. Father, to gather together without fear of persecution or harm. Father, you provided such a sweet place for us to gather where we can be comfortable. But God, we want to encounter you this morning. Father, just as... The shepherds encountered your heavenly host and encountered sweet baby Jesus in the manger. God, we want to encounter the risen Savior this morning. So, Father, speak to our hearts. Make them receptive to hear your word. God, hide me behind your cross. May, may your people not hear my words, but your words spoken. Because it's your words, God, that changes hearts, that heals brokenness, that brings sight to blindness. So, Father, speak to us this morning. We're listening, and God, we want to be quick to obey you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I remember uh, as a child growing up in Christmas, I always liked to try to guess what I was getting for Christmas. You know, I, me being a perfect child that I was, you know, I, I always, that was a joke. Man, it's going to be a long day, y'all. It's going to be a long day. But um, being the perfect child that I was, I always got a lot of good gifts. No, I was never a perfect child, but I always was blessed to have a lot of gifts. And I would try to figure them out. And, you know, I would take the old, and even before Toys R Us catalog, they had a, thank you, 
old man there. They had a Sears catalog and had a toy section in there. And so I would try to shake them and try to figure out what gift was what. And I always knew the ones that were kind of long and flat. And when you shook them, they just went, you know, it was clothes. Who wants clothes for Christmas, you know? I never did. I wanted a toy. And so I would try to take the gift and match it to what I thought the box would look like in the catalog, you know. Uh, But then my, my dad would get smart. And I remember one year, he had this box, and, and I was, um, <laughs> I really wanted an electronic football that year. Uh, y'all, most of y'all might be too young for that. Bob, you know about electronic football. You know, if y'all remember the, the game that I'm talking about, it was a little metal board, and you had the little um, electric men that had magnets on them, and the board would vibrate, and they were supposed to, you had one that carried the football and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, on TV, it was really awesome because, you know, you could have like a 30-yard run of your guy just buzzing down the field, but it never really worked that way. It kind of being like a fourth grade uh, or four-year-old soccer, you know, everybody herded together, you know, so, but uh, I just knew that I was getting this gift, and, and, um, and so I went, and I would shake and everything, and it sure sounded like it, and I opened it up, and my dad, you know what he had done? He had taken the box, the toy out of the box, and put a pair of toenail clippers or fingernail clippers in there, you know, to, to mess with me. And, and then he eventually gave me the gift. But, but I always hope for the, the perfect gift, you know, or I always hope in football season, I hope my team will do good. Or, man, I sure hope Christy's cooking something good for dinner. Or I sure hope, you know, this is going to happen or that's going to happen, you know. And I have all these little bitty hopes. But as I read the Christmas story this year, I found the best hope. And that's the hope of Jesus. That's the hope that Jesus brings. Uh, And what is hope? It's an expectation of the fulfillment of something desired or promised. And so I want to look at hope personified today and talk a little bit about it, because I think you can see a true picture of a person with hope in in the life of Simeon that we see in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. Says then it was time for the purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So when its parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, the law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was a righteous and devout and was eagerly awaiting the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. See, Simeon had a hope. His hope was in the word that God had given him. Simeon, you will not die till I show you the Savior, the Messiah, who will save this nation of Israel, who for hundreds of years have been crying out to be saved, to be redeemed, to have a new king, a new leader. And he says, you're not going to die before you get to see that child. And so Simeon had that hope. Now, I don't know how long Simeon held on to that hope. 
But I know that we can see in this picture that God made him go to the temple and then he saw Jesus and God revealed to him, this is the one that I'm telling you about. See, Simeon had hope in seeing the salvation that God had prepared for them. You know, Peter tells us that as Christ, this side of the cross with Christ living in us, we can live with a great hope or a great expectation as seen in 1 Peter 1. And in Psalm 33 we can see where the psalmist says, I love what he says, he says, the Lord looks down from heaven and sees the whole human race. From his throne he observes all who live on earth. He made their hearts so he understands everything they do. The best equipped army cannot save a king, nor is great strength enough to save a warrior. Don't count on your war horse to give you victory, for all its strength it cannot save you. But the Lord watches over those who fear him, those who rely on his unfailing love. He rescues them from, the de- from death and keeps them alive in times of famine. We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our, sh- our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. See, the psalmist even believed that true hope comes in a relationship with God, comes in the person of God. And we all need this hope. You know, I started thinking about that hope and I started thinking about my life personally and I want to share with you some areas in my life where I feel hope, I experience hope or I know I need hope the most. And, the first, and maybe it'll just relate to you. You know, the Bible says there's nothing that's co- that, that we go through that's not common to other people. And one of the areas that I think of when I think of hope this Christmas season is hope is the answer to our human condition. You see, hope is the help for me for my helpless condition, knowing and being in, confronted with the fragility of life. Job was confronted with that in, in Job 14, verse 1, he says, How frail is humanity, how short is life, how full of trouble. We blossom like a flower and then wither. Like a passing shadow, we quickly disappear. Must you keep an eye on such frail creature and a man in accounting of me? And he says, God, he was just confronted with just how frail he is as a human and just how brief life is. And he says, God, why do you even spend time messing with me? I'm going to be here today and gone tomorrow. It's just but a breath. James 4.14 says that your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then gone. The psalmist says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire life is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. And so when I, and everybody, I guess at some point in time, maybe I'm, I'm just weird this way, but I remember when I got confronted with just how frail life is. It was a very traumatic situation in my life, and really and truly, it happened 20-something years ago, and I believe just in this year have I really began to understand and be able to cope with just how the magnitude of how frail life is. And I catch myself trying to hold on to it, hold on to it, and guess when it was going to change, or guess when something bad was going to happen, or guess when it might end, or this or that, and all that's like trying to grab sand in your hand, it would just be fleeting, 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 and that's when God put on my heart that passage in Psalms where he says, just be still and trust me. You see, we need hope for our helpless condition. We need hope when we're consumed by fear, worry, anxiety, and doubt. That's why in John, Jesus was telling us, I've told you... All of this, so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. See, my dad protected me from trials 
as best he could. And, and every, I, I don't really truly ever remember seeing my father str- struggle with anything. Now, I know he did because later on in life we talked about it, but I would, you would never know. And so when I began to struggle with life and difficulties and worrying about this and worrying about that, and it seemed like as you grow and mature, you, know, you, ha- you get married, well, then the opportunity to worry and fear gets a little bit ramped up. And then you do this wonderful thing and have these great, awesome kids, and that's wonderful, but then the opportunity for worry and fear begins to amp back up. And then you survive all that, the teenage years and the marrying years. And if you're a father of a, of a, of a girl, the dating years, you know, when you realize there's some young man that's going to come and steal the heart of my kid. And be honest with you, sharing wasn't fun as a child, and it's not fun as an adult. You know, I don't like sharing my daughter, but I've learned to deal with that. I've learned to, and praise God, my daughter has a wonderful husband. And, 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 and I'm sure with women, it, your sons are the same way. But I would struggle with this fear and this anxiety. And man, I'm telling you what, God's hope meets us Right there. In Matthew 6, he goes on to say, don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? So verse 31, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. See, God's hope through the birth of Jesus meets me in my point of worry and fear and anxiety and doubt, but also as I am racked with the fragility. Anybody, y'all, are y'all understanding? Are y'all, can anybody relate? Has anybody ever struggled with how fragile life is? Yeah. You know, well, thank you, Bob. I, good, I'm not the only one, you know, but, but also not only is it fragile, it's fragile in the sense of my propensity to want to sin. You know, the apostle Paul was right there with me, says in verse seven, uh, chapter seven of Romans, he says, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I want to do what is, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. You see how it is? In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. And the Apostle Paul cannot put how I feel about my life and my propensity to sin any better than that. It's like, man, I, I need hope because sometimes I'm like, I love God's law, but I still don't do the things I know I ought to do when I need to do them. 
And then when I do the things I know I not ought to do, then I feel the guilt and the shame because I know I've let God down. I know I've disobeyed Him. And I can get in that cycle and I'm like, man, I am a wretched person. I am all too human. Man, life is fragile. But yet the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. There is hope in Jesus. But not only hope to overcome the fragility of life, but hope for our future. So if I'm not worried about all of that, then I can pick up worrying about what's going to happen. About what's gonna, what is tomorrow going to bring. And if I look at just horizontally everything that's going on, I don't see a lot of hope. Do y'all? I don't see a lot of hope. I see a lot of pain, a lot of sorrow, a lot of difficulties, a lot of troubles, a lot of tough roads ahead. But I can worry about that. I can worry about the destiny of my life. But 2 Corinthians tells us it's God who enables us along with you to stand firm for Christ. He's commissioned us and he has identified us by his own, by, as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised. See, God has given us hope for the future because he's already there. He already knows. He's the beginning and the end. He already knows what's going to happen. He already knows the choices that I'm going to make, either good choices or not so good choices, either choices that honor him or choices that dishonor him. He has the future figured out. Why? Because he is there. And in a relationship with Jesus, he's given me his Holy Spirit to promise me, to give me that hope. That hope is not a pipe dream. That hope is based upon truth, that he is, the part, he is there in the future but also this hope is for when difficulties come our way. You know, everywhere you can look, it seems like there's going to be difficulties. Matter of fact, uh, Jesus tells him himself, in this world, you will have trouble. But take courage, I've overcome the world. And if those things don't, if I don't need hope in those things, then I need hope in the fact of, do I really matter? Has anybody ever pondered that? You know, do I really matter? Is what I'm doing really matter? Am I doing more than just consuming my, my fair share of resources? You know, I tried to look that up. About how many breaths do we take in a lifetime? Or how many liters of air do we take in a lifetime? I want to do more than just, just, yes. I want my life to matter. I want my life to mean something. I want my, to live my life to actually make a difference, to know that my life has been more than just a waste. That, that, uh, and you know, Jeremiah, I believe, felt that way. In his calling in Jeremiah chapter 1, you know, Jeremiah was a teenager when God called him and commissioned him, and God affirmed his value and his worth. The Lord said, the Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in my mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. The Lord replied, don't say I'm too young, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. <laughs> Still works today, doesn't it? The Lord wants us to go where he sends us and to say what he tells us. And don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. You know, the psalmist was in the same position. He says, when I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you've set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? And so you look at this one little person, little old me, and the great cosmos of all that's created, I don't know what it all is. I don't know how far it all goes, but here's what's interesting. You know, Louis Giglio believes, based upon his research, that no matter if you look as far as you can look, 
do you know what the last, the farthest galaxy, the known galaxy that we've identified looks like across? And that if you go and look at the very thing that holds us all together and you look at its, its, uh, its chemical breakdown, how does it break down in the shape of a cross? And so that helps me to believe that no matter where I'm at, God's at the beginning and God's at the end. God has it all figured out. So even though I might see it, he knows the number of hairs that he has on my head. He says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Man, there is hope. There is hope for the fragility of life. And if you are like me and have struggled with dealing with the realities that life is difficult, that life is brief, that life is full of troubles and sorrows. Remember I asked y'all a while back, uh, several years ago, did you know that adulting adult kids was hard? And all of y'all said, oh, amen, yes, sir, amen, amen. And I looked at John and said, why didn't you tell me? You know, and I, just this week I've had a conversation with a person that has really been slapped with the reality of how fragile life is. And they're struggling to find their footing in that. And Jesus is the hope for that. He is there but you know, this hope has a huge scope. See, this hope that we can see in Jesus, his presence brings hope when there seems to be no hope. Remember the story of Jehoshaphat? When the Moabites and the Ammonites had gathered that they were about to go take care of him because he kept, uh, he kept thwarting their plans. And when he realizes that this great army is amassing against him, he says this in 2 Chronicles 20. He says, oh, oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We don't know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. And man, oh man, it seems like time after time that I come across situations that can seem hopeless when I look at them without looking up through the eyes of Jesus. And I just look at them this way horizontally. And I can say, oh my gosh, God, this is so big. This is so strong. What are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about that? How can we handle this? How can we can handle that? You know, I don't know how to do it. I can't handle it. And that's, that's been one of the hardest realities. The older I get, I realize the less I can control and the less I can actually do. Matter of fact, I can use bad English to say I can't do nothing. I can't do nothing. Nothing. No, I can't. Not on my own. Not on my own. But listen to God's word to Jehoshaphat through Jehaziel, the Levite. In verse 15, he says, he said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You'll find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens up into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will, not even need to, you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow. The Lord is with you. You know, Elijah's servant felt overwhelmed by the situation that he was in when he walked out and realized that they were surrounded by the king of Aram's army. And he comes back in and he cries out to Elijah, you know, we're in trouble and uh, he says, what will we do? The young man cried to Elijah. In verse 16 of Second uh, Kings 6, he says, do not be afraid, Elijah told him, for there are more on the other side, on our side, than, than on theirs. Then Elijah prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. 
It's Stephen stoning when his situation looked hopeless. He says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 7, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then, he put their, then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell on his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Even with Peter escaping prison. Time after time after time in the scriptures, we see where people, as they look at it apart from God doing his work... It seems hopeless. But yet time after time, in the story of Jehoshaphat, in the story of Stephen, in the story of David, in the story of Peter, in the story of Paul, the story of Elijah and his servant, time and time after again, we can see that God's presence brings hope in the midst of difficult situations. Where there seems like there's no hope, there is always hope in and through God. But also his presence brings hopes when difficulties come. The apostle Paul was not not uh, wanting for difficult times. In 2 Corinthians 11, he kind of goes through his little pedigree of all the things that he suffered. He says, are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced dangers from rivers and from robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty, and have gone often without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without me feeling that weakness? Who is led astray that I do not burn with anger? Yet we read in Philippians 4, he says that I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every, living, of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty or with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. See, the Apostle Paul was not one who shied away from difficult situations, but yet he had hope. Why? Because he knew that God was with him, that God would provide all that he needed, that God would see him through, that God would be his strength, that God would be his hope, that God would be his rescue, that God would give him the nourishment to carry on when he seemed to not have the physical nourishment that he needed. See, his presence, God's presence, brings hope when difficult times come. His presence also brings hope in the midst of weakness. And I don't know about y'all, but there are times when I face situations in life that I feel that there's no hope. And more and more, there's times when I face situations in life that reveal just how weak of a person that I am. You know, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, Three different times I begged the Lord to take, take it away, this tormentor of his flesh. He says, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses, in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer. 
For when I am weak, I am strong. You see, in the midst of my weakness, God can minister to me and will minister to me with his presence. It gives me hope when I'm weak. That's why the psalmist can say that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because God is with me. His rod and his staff, he comforts me. And I can't help but think of me walking as a helpless little sheep. And I see that old wolf over there. And that wolf says, ah, the shepherd's not here. I'm about to have me some dinner. I'm going to beat up on that weak one. He's weak. He's dumb. He's stupid. He, he always gets lost. He messes up. And then the shepherd rolls up on the sh- scene. And what does he have? He has his rod. And the wolf thinks, secondly, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. It's changed. Now this sheep is not so helpless. Why? Because his shepherd's there to protect him. And I used to think of that rod as God using it on me. But more so now, I think of that rod as God using it against the devil. And God using it against that wolf that wants to come and try to take one of his sheep. So when I feel weak, I can know that I have the hope that God will be stronger. He says his, per- his power is not made perfect in my strength. His power is made p- perfect in what? My weakness. So I can embrace those times when I feel weak. I can embrace those difficult opportunities when I think it's pushed me beyond myself. And praise God it has because that's when God can do what he needs to do. Because when I feel like I'm facing things that I can do, I try to do them in my own strength, in my own power. But see, his presence brings hope in the midst of our weaknesses. And this hope comes from encountering God in his word. Romans 15, 4 says, Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be filled. So when I think of the story of Simeon and the hope that he had, God encounters me with that same hope that in the spot, in the spot of my frailty as being a human, that God's hope is there through Jesus Christ. That when I face situations that are too difficult for me, and I seem to face more them more and more every day, that I can have hope. Why? Because God's presence is with me. That when I feel weak and frail, that I can't provide for my family, or I can't be the man of God that I'm called to be, that I can't even be the human that I'm supposed to be, that I can be, have hope. Why? Because I know that God's strength is made perfect in my weakness. So when you think of Christmas and you reflect on the birth of Jesus, do you see the gift of hope? Do you think that the world just maybe needs hope as bad now as it ever has? Boy, I do. And see, this hope only comes, we believe, I believe this hope only comes through the presence of God in our lives. This world needs hope. But this world will never get to hope if we're not living that hope out in front of them. You see, God's presence is seen in his people living for him, bringing his presence into this lost world. And so my prayer for me and for you is that we'll really experience at least the hope of Christmas through Jesus Christ and that this hope will empower us to live hopeful lives. And and, because I'm telling you, more and more conversations that I have with people, it might not be be all out fear and dread, but I don't hear a lot of hope. I don't hear a lot of hope. I don't hear a lot of knowing God's going to work it all out. Now, they might eventually get there, but the problem is, is the world needs hope and the world's looking at you and I because we claim to be Christians, and are we living that hope in front of them? Are we being a living hope for them to see and to experience and say, wow, this person is different. 
this person is dealing with difficulty, but they deal with hope. You know, I think of the story of Bob Dixon, who was part of the Texas Baptist men. And Henry Blackaby shares a story of, of um, Bob struggling with cancer. And so Henry comes in and visits him in the hospital, and he begins to pray, said, Bob, can I pray for you? And Bob said, yes. And he began to pray, God, please heal Bob. And Bob stopped him. He said, Henry, you need to stop. And Henry's like, why? I, I want to pray for you. He said, Henry, I'm glad you're wanting to pray for me. But maybe it is God's activity for people to see a Christian suffer with hope, to suffer with grace, to deal with cancer with hope, to deal with cancer with, with promise, with victory. Maybe that's God's direction for my life. So don't pray, don't pray God, me not to follow God's direction because his direction might be for me to take this difficult path. And who knows what honor God is going to bring. And ultimately, that was the path that he took. And you know, those people share stories of them encountering him. And they remark about how that every step of the way, he had God's peace. That every step of the way, he had God's hope. That every step of the way, that he was experiencing victory. Even though his body was failing, his physical body was failing, his spirit was being renewed day in and day out. You see, God wants to use you, God wants to use me to share his message of hope. We'll end it with 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave this wonderful message of gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. See, God wants to share this message of hope through us to others. God is calling us and commissioning us to be his ambassadors of this hope. So when we walk through difficult times, let the difficult times come. Because we can hope, because we know that whatever happens on this earth is not the end of the story. That there will be a day when we take our last breath here, we will, as followers of Christ, of those who have accepted the blood of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins, that we will stand before God and we won't have faith anymore. We will have sight and we will hear those wonderful, sweet words, well done, my good and faithful servant. That we will be made whole, that there will be no brokenness. See, we can live with hope. We can live no matter how frail life is, no matter what difficult situations we face. We can live with hope, and God wants us to share that message of hope to a lost and hurting world. So my prayer for you is, is that as you read the Christmas story, that one aspect of it you'll see is the incredible gift of hope that God has given us through Jesus Christ. Completely undeserved. 
completely unmerited, and more incredible than any human words could ever describe. And that God wants that hope to make a difference in our lives. In the littlest areas and in the biggest areas. And that God wants us that as we embrace that hope and live in that hope, to share that hope with those that we come in contact with. There's no greater time for hope to be needed in our world today than right now. Do you have that hope? It starts with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't, that's your place to start. Maybe you have a relationship with Jesus, but you know what? You've really not been living a life that's reflected a life of hope. But you want to. As June comes and plays, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to God however he chooses to lead you. I know with all my heart that Dawson Street Baptist Church is about sharing that hope, that love, that grace, that mercy of Jesus to this world. Will you pray for me? Will you pray for one another that we will really embrace the hope of Christmas? You move as God chooses you to move.